Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Ringside Nutrition Podcast with me, your host, registered sports nutritionist, Jack Coke. This is the podcast which delves into all things combat sports nutrition, but we also discuss ideas such as strength and conditioning, mindset, visualization, and all things high performance related to combat sports. Now I'm very conscious of getting guests on the show who deliver expert knowledge and provide such useful hints and tips for people listening. But I really want to try and get on more professional fighters because I feel it's more relatable for you guys listening to relate to someone who's been there and done it. So I'm super happy to announce that on today's episode of the pod, I'm joined by not only my client and my friend, uh, but professional boxer, WBO global welterweight champion, Michael the Problem McKinson. Now in this episode, me and Mikey discuss all about his journey so far, how he didn't get paid for his first 10 fights and the journey he's been through to get to where he is now. We talk all about the Chris Congo fight, the experience, how he made weight, traveling, um, the press conference, everything. We unpick everything about that experience. Then we go and talk about how Mikey put on some pounds in the last lockdown and how it hindered his weight cut for the Martin Harkin fight last October and the lessons he learned from that, which is a great listen. And there's some really good um, home truths in there. Then we also spoke about how the metabolic testing that we've done with Mikey has benefited him in camp. And now it's allowed him to not only just eat more, but feel psychologically better in himself as well. And then we also finish off with some quick fire questions for Mikey, which you guys submitted. Um, and also talk a little bit about um, his brother, Lucas, who's fighting for the English lightweight title next week. And we find out who uh, Mikey's dad's favorite son is. Hint, hint, it's not Mikey. <laughs> so enough of me talking. Grab a coffee, grab some food. Spend an hour of your time just digesting and listening to this. I've listened to this one a couple of times. It's so nice to hear it from a fighter's perspective. I'll shut up. Listen in episode three of season two of the Ringside Nutrition podcast with Mikey the Problem McKinson. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode three of season two of the Ringside Nutrition podcast. Today is a very special episode because I'm joined by none other than the better looking McKinson brother, Bannon or brother, Michael McKinson. Mikey, mate, top stuff getting you on. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Jack. Nice one. Yeah, I've got the I've got the better looking brother today. The other one was unavailable, but if I had a choice, I probably would have preferred to have got Lucas on, but we'll make do with you. We'll make do with you. <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely aged better than Lucas. I've given that. He's uh, he's starting to look old for his age. Yeah, we were going to do a joint one, weren't we? But um, obviously, Lucas has got his fight next week, so we don't want to distract him too much from his training and stuff because he's on it. So um, let's talk about you, mate. This is a podcast all about you. Got you on. First off, mate, what are you up to at the moment, and what's your plans for the future? Um, I'm ticking over at the moment. I know it's a big year. I got a big win last month, uh, last month, six weeks ago. Um, and it's ticking over. I've got to keep myself healthy because if I don't, I'm, I can get real big and get real out of shape. And obviously I've just signed with, um, Eddie Hearn and Matt Trim, So I'm looking to be out July, August, they've said. So literally waiting on news now. I think next couple of weeks I'll know something and, and we can start start working hard again. Yeah, it's a big big year coming up for you, isn't it? It all started off at the start of this year with the Congo fight. Let's talk about that. How did that fight come about? Because I know that you've been wanting it for ages. How did that fight come about? And let's talk about 
massive section of this pod episode let's talk about that whole experience from from obviously like how you got that fight and then preparing for it let's let's start off with how did that fight come about mate um it was a bit of a collision cause I, I heard like a few years ago he wanted to fight me uh, but for whatever reason I had other things and other, other opportunities I actually didn't know about this so I'm just taking his word for it um and then I deserve a big fight on the big platform and I have done for ages. And there's only really three guys worth talking about on that platform. Conor Ben, Chris Congo, Josh Kelly in the UK. So I boxed in October and I got out of the ring. And in my uh, interview on the side of the ring, I called Chris Congo out in a respectful way. But I was like, I knew out of the three of them, that's the more likely I'd be able to get. So I called him out. We went on a few lives together and, and stuff like that and uh it went quiet so but i kept myself fit over christmas and the new year and then in january yeah you were out running on christmas day weren't you boxing day i was out running christmas day boxing day i I was out again and uh new year's day i was out then i jumped in the sea minus one degrees um eight o'clock in the morning so i kept myself in good shape over the christmas period um and then I actually got COVID. Like I was, uh, had COVID uh, at the beginning of January. I was quite rough for about a week. I had to isolate for 10 days. And on, on the day um, I was allowed out, before I'd even left the house, I got the phone call from my manager, Lee Eaton, and said, we've got that Chris Congo fight like you asked for. They've like, given us an offer. It's in six weeks' time. Bear in mind, I'd not trained for two weeks. And I was I was quite light to be fair because I was not well. And uh, um, I, I said yes. I got my running shoes straight on, and I, I went and run down the seafront. And <laughs> that's where that came. Like, I didn't care if I had six weeks' notice. Like I got my big opportunity. Then, like I, I started flying in camp, and uh, but it was like I was putting a lot in in a short amount of time to get ready. And then, like I had a bit of a bonus because. Dillian White, who was main event, he, uh, he he was based out in Portugal. He couldn't get back with all the restrictions and stuff. So they moved the fight back three weeks in Gibraltar. So it worked in my favour, really. Um, and then, and, and then yeah, we went to Gibraltar and I changed my life. Yeah. I remember it's, it's a bit of a side chat, but I, the place where um, Dillian White trains in Portugal is right near like my mate's villa. I remember we went to go like down there and my mate was like, oh, we can play tennis there. And I was like, surely we can't just like play tennis. Then we rocked up and they were like, yeah, if you want to rent a court, it's like 200 quid. So we were just like, okay. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what was what was the biggest difference then, mate, between the two fights? So like with the, you obviously had to stay ready and you knew something was bubbling under the surface because I remember talking to you, you knew something was coming, some big news was coming. How did you kind of stay in, in shape between those two fights? What was the difference between... Obviously, because we had the lockdown last year, you didn't know if you were going to fight. And I know that your weight came up a bit too much. Um, what was the key difference between between these two fights, do you reckon, in between? Um, in the lockdown last year, I was due to fight last April. And to be fair, even like back then, like my weight was a little bit like, hang on a minute, like I haven't got long and like my weight's quite high. Mm. And then like I would have made it and stuff like that, but lockdown happened. And it got cancelled, like, I think, two weeks before, three weeks before. And then from that time to June, like, I couldn't have boxing gyms. They were saying, run, do home workouts like everyone else. But I'll be the first to admit, I had no motivation to do that. So I started 
seeing my mates drinking, eating what I want, and I wasn't training, and I was, my weight skyrocketed. Like, if you was to see me last summer, it was like, it was higher than what it would ever normally be. And then um, I got myself a fight, uh, and I had like two months or, no, I had 12 weeks, and I had to lose quite a lot of weight in the, compared to normal. Yeah. So I boxed in October, and um, I'd lost two and a half stone in 12 weeks or, or close to two. Mm. And like ev everything in that whole build, which is a lot, like everything in the build up to that fight was, I was concentrating on weight loss rather than um, my boxing and rather than like developing my craft and stuff. Like thankfully when I fought, I fought a dangerous unbeaten guy, but I made quite easy work of it. It could have been different if it, it was anybody else in there. That's what I was about to say, mate. I was like, if that was, um biggest lesson probably learned from that I don't want to speak for you but if that was like a a higher level opponent and you had that yeah. fight on on that notice and stuff that sort of like fat camp as opposed to performance camp could have been your downfall it's fair to say yeah I think that training camp against when I fought Martin Harkin in October I probably there's been two training camps in my career which I've learned a lot about myself from and it was the Martin Harkin fight and the Pavco fight like because in the like I've learned not to do certain things in camp and, and stuff like that. Um, and then um, straight after the Harkin fight, I was like, I'm a professional boxer in, in real good position for big things. I need to start acting like a professional boxer. And not, not, I'm not saying like in the past, I've always been very dedicated. I've always been um, a hard worker, disciplined, but anybody can slip off of it real easy and, and put on weight and the weight's like the main thing so I just kept my weight light uh kept my weight balanced over Christmas and New Year so mm. then I went into the Chris Congo training camp um lighter than usual um and then obviously with seeing you and and stuff like that I learned so much like I, I used to struggle making weight for the last couple of years probably from the the Pavco sort of fight to the to the Harkin fight, that sort of area, it was tough for me to make weight. Whereas obviously in Gibraltar, like you know yourself, I've, like don't get me wrong, it's never easy, but it was a lot better, like mm. me making it and 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 stuff like that. So so yeah, like there was a time where I thought, oh my god, I might have to move up a weight soon. <laughs> Until now, there's no way I'm going to be moving up like. Like any anytime soon, anyway, I'll clear up at welterweight, and then and then we can move up. Move move down to super lightweight and fight your brother. <laughs> yeah, get, get it get, get it on at Fratton Park, and I have to put oh. a 50 50 bet on because <laughs> I can't decide. Um, no, it beat me. It beat me. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's so important, isn't it? And I guess that when we sat down at the start of camp, I think it was because you're in such a good place with the weight, and we knew we didn't have a larger percentage to lose because we knew that we were obviously going to have to travel and stuff. So it's not going to be like your normal kind of routine. We didn't want to have loads of weight to lose at the acute weight loss phase, did we? So it goes yeah. to show how important it is. The out of camp part is, is good to enjoy yourself. Like, mate, I know you're enjoying yourself. You're enjoying yourself now, aren't you? And stuff, but it's just important. Probably the message is not to go crazy overboard, but then I, again, I think the secret is like, obviously I'm enjoying myself. I've told you some of the meals I've eaten lately and stuff, but you also know what weight I am at the moment. And like, as long as I'm training, 
my weight doesn't, it won't go any really heavier than this. So I'm, I'm in a good place now out of camp. Whereas if I didn't have like the gym, or if I, if I wasn't training, I wasn't working alongside it, I'd be a stone heavier than what I am now, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, it's, it's important to say as well, though, mate, but that a lot of fighters probably listening to this will relate to what you said massively about like the lockdown and me feeling frustrated. And I think it's only human that that sort of element crept in. And that was probably why you put on weight where the gym has been shut. I think a lot of people went through the same kind of thing. Um, I just want to touch on, mate, really about like the whole experience, because going over to Gibraltar is like a massive thing for you on the kind of like first time on the big stage, wasn't it? And a big event and having to travel abroad and stuff. What was, because I guess like a lot of the people listening will want to know like the behind the scenes and matchroom, the stuff on the matchroom YouTube stuff, mate, is like unreal with the whole behind the scenes. And it's like a mini movie, isn't it? But talk to some of the guys listening now about the whole experience. So like in fight week, how was it? Like, what did you get? Did you get picked up to go to London? Like talk us for everything, mate. No, so we arrived um, at the Hilton in London uh, I think on the Tuesday or Wednesday, I can't remember. Um, soon as you get out the car, there's cameras in your face, like filming you, asking you stuff. It's like, it was mad. And um, you have your COVID test and you go up to your rooms and you're not allowed to leave your room for 24 hours. But at that time I was having, I bought like a ring light with me and I was having interviews in my hotel room and it was crazy. And then um, next day we go, Went to uh, a private flight, like a chartered flight. Um, Eddie Earn, like, got a chartered flight over to Gibraltar. So it was everyone in the boxing bubble. So it was nobody else. We went straight through the airport onto the plane, straight into Gibraltar. Um, and then we got escorted straight to our hotel from there, which we was obviously staying in. It was the Sunborn Hotel. It's like a five-star yacht kind of hotel. Yeah, I did a little um, presidential suite, didn't you, as well? I got upgraded to a nice suite. suite. Yeah, I got upgraded to a nice. I was they treat they treat you like I was treated like a king all week, really. But um, was your dad across the road? You left your, your dad was across the road. Was, that? The, was your dad across the road in the Premier Inn? Was he? Nah, no. <laughs> <laughs> we were all treated very very well, and um, it's like one of them. Like we wasn't obviously allowed to leave the hotel unless. Um, we wasn't allowed to leave the hotel unless we were getting escorted to like the press conference or the way in and stuff like that in our bubble. But we didn't really need to. The hotel was lovely. Um, as soon as you left like my hotel room, there's like cameras in my face and like, always cameras on you and security around you. It was like, it was mad, like, like something you'd see in the movies. And um, I, I didn't really socialise with many people. Like, you, like in the boxing world, there's loads of important people in boxing. Um, there's obviously Eddie Hearn there. There's like, like Ricky Atten over there. It's crazy. But I kept myself to myself most of fight week. I was so tunnel visioned in my job in, ahead of me. Like I didn't want to be like a fanboy to people. So I stayed in my room, um, kept focus. Uh, everything was so controlled, so relaxed for me fight week. I knew what I had to do. You, you see, like, people, when they get their first chance on their big stage, they crumble under the lights. They become a fanboy, and they're like, oh, my God, I'm on Sky Sports box office or whatever, and they crumble. I was never going to crumble. I'm far too um, mentally strong, and, like, I envisioned it for a long, long time. So everything was so controlled. Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah. I remember talking to you as well, mate. And I was like, are you, are you doing this? Are you doing that? And you were like, mate, I'm literally just in my room. I haven't left my room. And I was just like, oh, wow. He's so tunnel vision. He's just got that job to do. So focused that he doesn't want to, he don't want to socialise when he wants to get distracted. My main job uh, for Gibraltar, I wasn't there to enjoy myself. I was there to change my life and I changed my daughter's life and stuff like that. Like, this is my job. Um, so, so yeah, I just stayed focused to, to why I was there um, and got it done. Yeah, I think a question which got asked is um, in one of the things which I'll just pull up now. It was like, what were you, what were you saying to um, at the weigh-in or whenever it was at the press conference thing? What were you saying to Chris when you were like pointing at him? Was question. I um, yeah. So like at the press conference, it was lovely set up. There was like a it was like round like a little river thing, um, and uh, I, like I looked at it, I looked at the belt and went, "That's my belt," and he said. He said, I'm going to knock you out or something like that. And I said, yeah. we will see. Like I said, we will see. This is the McKinson show Saturday. This is the McKinson show Saturday. We will see. Um, then a security guy like, got involved. <laughs> like, didn't need no security, but um, they got involved. And all the media people was like, oh, that's more like it. You know what I mean? And um, at the weigh-in, he tried, like, making me jump. He was like, and still. I said, and the new. One more sleep. Like I said yesterday, this is the McKinson show. But at the way, I was like, I knew I was already under his skin. Like, I was just smiling. Like, I was enjoying everything. Every single second of it, I was enjoying. And, mm. like, I was so confident. I was very, very confident in that fight. And, like, obviously, it was a massive fight. Like, hardest fight on paper and, and stuff like that. But I was more nervous to fight Martin Harkin five months before. Why was that? Mate? Why was that, Mikey? The Martin Harkin one, it was all weight loss, like to the build up. Although I, I worked hard and I probably had a good camp or whatever from what I could have, but um, there was no crowd. There was no crowd. So on the night, I was bricking it in the um, in the changing rooms. There was no atmosphere. That was playing on my head for the Harkin fight. Um, don't get me wrong, as soon as my ring walk music came on and the first bow went and I had an angry Scotsman trying to knock me out, <laughs> I'd done what I had to do. And I, I looked good in the Martin Harkin fight. I can't say, like, I can't go and say, oh, poor performed terrible. It looked good, like a decent performance. So, but I was more nervous like, for it, especially on the night. And like, when I fought Chris Congo, everything, like, like, you see, like, the film crew, like, filming me when I arrived at the um, venue, I was so relaxed. Like, yeah, we said, was, didn't we? We said the other day that next time we're going to have to put a heart rate monitor on you because I said, swear to God, if you put a heart rate monitor on you and when you're getting your hands wrapped, your heart rate must be below like 50. It's just, it, it yeah. doesn't seem to, I think it helps you so much, but it, it doesn't seem to bother you or, or phase you or you're just so confident. Yeah, I, it was it was difficult. I remember just being in the change rooms and it was like, like I've never been physically and mentally in shape like I was for Chris Congo. Like, you've never... That was the best McKinson, like, yet. And um, I just thought, you know what? Like, a, a well-prepared Michael McKinson beats most of these guys. And I was so confident in beating Chris Congo. I was so focused on my job. I'd put the hard work in already. Like, I don't cut any corners. I'll do as I'm told, which is the main thing, um, from all of like different members of my team, I do as I'm told. Like I'm a product of a great team, so all I've got to do is put a hard work in and perform. Mm. And um, 
I was very, very confident like I could beat uh, Chris Congo. And I, I remember in the going into the last round, Chris Congo is known for being from a team where they get really fit. But I had never done the full 10 rounds before, and I've done it like a few times. That was like the main thing. Chris Congo's a fit boy. He'll just keep coming or whatever. And um, I looked over to him going into the 10th and final round, right? And he was breathing quite gassed, heavy. wasn't he? Yeah, he was gassed. He was breathing quite heavy. And I was, I was fat. this was literally just before the round started. I was feeling to myself like, I'm hardly breathing heavy. Like, <laughs> I've just done nine rounds, right? I'm literally, I could do another six rounds, no problem. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, I've, like from that performance, like it's just goes to show every fight I'm having, I'm learning more and more, which is the most important thing developing, learning more about myself and how to how to like do things in camp to like make the camp better. And obviously adding things like you come on board, things have been like 20 times easier for me. So like I'm so happy with where I am with my career right now and how things are going as well. Like, I'm just excited for the future. Yeah. It's funny because I got a few messages from people in the kind of like boxing circles, like sports science circle. And they said, oh, you do realise that that Chris Congo, is, he's really fit. And they've got like subjective markers from testing to show that he's really fit. And I was like, yeah, no, trust me. I was like, Mikey's fit. And they're going, what data have you got to share that? I was like, well, we don't need data. I was like, Mikey's different kind of fighter. You know, he's fitter. And then they said, bloody hell, like at the end of that fight, it looks like he could do another 10 rounds. And I was like, I think he, I think he genuinely could do another 10 rounds. So I was like, he doesn't look, look at him in between the rounds. He doesn't look like he's, he's hardly breathing at all. He's not like, but I think that's due yeah. to your kind of like fighting style as well. Um, yeah. Like if anything, he wasn't committing in the fight. I was the one having to try and do something. Although I don't normally fight as the aggressor, I had to a little bit, but, all of the fight it was all in my pace because he wouldn't commit. So that was a bonus. Um, I was very, I was very fit for that fight. And I was in, I remember being in the, like in between rounds. I was so in control of my breathing. Hmm. And I like, I, I never knew how much of a difference like that makes, like your breathing and stuff like that. And until then, like, I was in control of the whole night. It was like, like I said before, I thought it was my destiny to, to shine in Gibraltar. I think it stems as well from your dad as well, being so like a, because obviously I've only met him a couple of times, but so calm and collected and just just says it how it is. So it's not like you've got someone raising your heart rate or panicking you with information in it in the corner. So stems, yeah. from, stems from your dad, doesn't it? Yeah, obviously he's a great coach and he's getting a recognition now, but not only is he a great coach, he's actually really, really good in the corner. Like every every fight is different. Like every fight is different. Some might need to be G'd up and some yeah. might not and stuff like that. And he's he knows his fighters and like I'll give him props. He is a very good corner man. Very good. Yeah. And what about in regards to to making the weight? Because everyone saw it on TV and stuff. How how was making the weight for you this time? I mean, it, it was a good it was a nice thing for me personally and Greg obviously to see like on TV and stuff and the way in, but you looked you looked in shape and I, everyone always says that, don't they mate, of how like, oh, you look in shape and you look in shape. But majority of the time you have a conversation um, and you say, like, oh, you look in shape, but they, they'll then tell you like two weeks after, yeah, I was spitting into a bucket 10 minutes before that. Or yeah, I was doing like a yeah. little sauna suit, like talk to the guys, listen, without giving too much away, because obviously we want to keep things in camp, don't yeah. we, and in-house. But how was it making the weight like when you were there and, and how confident did you feel? And I want to go back to when I fought Lewis Veron 
in um, London about 18 months ago, I woke up with three pounds still to lose. And that's never normally like me, even if it's a tight cut, even if it's a top, like, even if it's like quite a difficult one, I'm always, I always wake up with within a pound of the way, even yeah. if it's tough. Yeah. The Veron one, I woke up nearly three pounds to lose in a few hours. And I thought, wow, like this has never happened. And I had to, oh, mate, it was just, it was just a little bit difficult for me. And then I fought Harkin. I made weight, but it was still tight. It was still tight. Like, and like for this one, what I learned, the main thing, like, especially with the testing with you, that I was, I wasn't eating enough. Yeah. And like every boxer, every boxer that, um, is it, well, every athlete that's in a sport where it's all about making weight and, and living on the scales and stuff like that. Like without the right nutrition, it's going to be very, very difficult. And that's one thing I'd, I'd like to preach, like, especially to young lads, especially young people turning pro as well, to, to, to get somebody with like nutrition like behind you, because it makes things a lot easier. Um, over the years, I've managed to learn a little bit and stuff like that. But for that last point, like we've done that testing and you said, oh, you're not eating it. And I was like, what? To me, I'm not eating enough. Like, it's crazy how all the science works in it. Like, I added another meal to the diet, which made me happier, firstly. It made me happier because I remember I was going, I was eating like what I had to eat and stuff. And then I was going to sleep quite hungry. Yeah, like, so real hungry. We, we said, didn't we, that, yeah, let's let's plug that extra meal in before before bed. Yeah. And like that one meal that I added made me happier in myself. It made things a little bit easier and I was losing more, more weight off of it. You know, like you remember, um, like you was coming that you came down to watch, was it my last spa or one of my last? Spas? Yeah. I think it was your last spa. Yeah. yeah. So in that week I was trying to hold my weight above a certain weight, mm. right? Just because I didn't want to spar below a certain weight because yeah. I, then I can start to feel a bit smaller and stuff. That was, I'd never like having to hold weight rather than lose weight. I was losing it that, that good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like everything. Like I remember the day before the weigh-in, I ate three decent, like decent sized meals, like the day before the weigh-in. Like that yeah. is not heard of with me. And people, other boxers will say, oh yeah, I eat the day before weigh-in, I eat the morning weigh-in. But deep down, like if they're if they're truthfully <laughs> honest, that's not that's not the case, you know. And I can hand on my heart say I was still eating the whole way through. Um, I was I had a smile on my face all the way through uh, fight week, you know. I've, and that is something that I haven't had for a long time. I've been doing the same weight, welterweight, since I turned professional. I even done it for my last few years before I was professional, you know. So I've done it. I've been probably been doing welterweight nine years. So I've grown through the world, like well away. And it gets harder and harder as my body gets bigger. But yeah, because you, are, you are quite saying. like, um, you are quite, you've got like your man body. Because we were talking, weren't we, that, that Lucas still, I still feel that yeah. Lucas has still got like a bit of growing to do into his man body. And he's got like, I think he can put a little bit more like bone mineral density on. Like I still think he's got capacity to grow a bit. But you're, you are in your kind of frame, like your frame ain't gonna, isn't going to change. So it's just making sure that no, that's, down to that weight is as easy as it can be because you're always going to be a welterweight and they're always going to have to be. So like you said in it, like learning more and more, like what weight you can go up to outside of camp, what weight you best spar at, which is 
which is something I preach a lot. Like you need to be sparring or doing your biggest spar at the weight, which you're going to fight at no lower. Yeah. So you're not too light or too heavy. So, so as, as the years for me, as the years have gone on, obviously I turned pro a, a 20 year old kid. Right. And I was sparring at the weight I was fighting at basically. Um, but as you get older and older, my sparring weight has been getting higher and higher a little bit. Like, um, as obviously I've been like the cuts maybe getting a little bit harder or whatever. So, but there's a certain weight which I would like nowadays I wouldn't like to spar below because as I'm making weight and stuff like that, it gets a little bit difficult with like my energy levels and 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 my size. Like obviously sparring natural got like big guys and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. So, like I, I remember it was although I had a decent last spar last time when you came down to watch. It was always like that was like my limit of like I would never be able to spar below that. You know yeah, what I mean? That guy was a big that guy was a big guy. I forgot his name, but he was a big guy, wasn't he? He's was tall. Harry Scuff. That's Harry it, Scuff. That's it, yeah. It was very it was very good sparring for me because he was tall. He could dig a little bit. He was busy, just like Chris Conger. Mm. So um that was good for me, yeah. Yeah. Wicked, mate. So the weigh in, all good. How did you find how did you find that first time on? Because you've done it for IFL and MTK and stuff, but how was that like knowing it was live on, on Sky Sports and stuff? For the weigh-in, more importantly, stepping on the scales, there was like because he was part of um, Dillian White's team. He's managed by Dillian White, so you had all like Dillian White's entourage there. Yeah. And as I stepped on, I was going too slick, like saying that Chris Congo's nickname. So that everyone was there for Chris Congo. I was so confident. I got on the scales and I was smiling, like I was smiling, lapping everything up. You know what I mean? It was like one more sleep until I finally get what I deserve. Mm. You know, so like, I just I'm I'm forever grateful for getting that opportunity. So I'm forever grateful to Chris Congo, Dillian White, um, and Eddie because I there was a point where I thought, you know what, I'll keep winning, keep like getting these good wins, I'm not going to get my shot on the big stage. I, I generally thought I'm never going to get it. So I'm going to be forever grateful to them guys for actually like giving me that opportunity because I took that opportunity with both hands and run with it. Like yeah. now, obviously, I'm impressed. I've been signed by them. Now, at least my next three fights are, are sweet now. You know what I mean? Because it's fair to say that I think a lot of people boxing fans or fighters resonate with you quite a lot mate because you're because of your background and how you've had to work to get to that point you've not been like the son of someone that's got got on something what for the guys that perhaps don't know like crazy amounts of detail about you and your career let's rewind the clock back and talk about like your journey to get to that point because I think there might be a few people that might have just seen that you, you you're signed with Matchroom and they don't really know the full story and it's always nice to hear for me personally too to have a little recap on on how you got to that point and how hard it has been because it's the harsh reality, isn't it, of that professional boxing. People think, oh, there's loads of money in it, but you didn't earn any money, did you, for your first, like, what, like, 10 fights? Yeah, so I am, um, I turned pro, a uh, cocky 19-year-old. Um, cocky 19-year-old from Pompey, you couldn't think of anything worse. Cocky 19-year-old, I was a kid. I, I My first pro fight when I was 20 over in Belfast my dad had some good contacts over there so I was over there quite a bit training um I had my first four pro fights in Belfast my first pro fight about 10 people from Portsmouth flew over and watched me my next couple no, I, didn't, I had a few people in the crowd clapping me 
um, just got on the shows. I had my sponsors back home paying for me to fight over there. So I'm forever blessed. Got to 4-0 and in the space of about four months. Obviously, didn't earn a penny. My sponsors paid for me. <laughs> um, then uh, I had my next six over in Portsmouth. I couldn't sell enough tickets back then to even do a six-rounder. I think I did. I got to 10-0. and I did two six-rounders. Um, I should have done eight rounders by then, stuff like that, but I couldn't sell enough tickets. Nobody wanted to see me because there was big ticket sellers already in Portsmouth that were more exciting than me. Uh, I was just a young lad. Uh, like Not really many people backed me back then. Although I was talented, I was probably a little bit cocky, a little bit arrogant or whatever. Got to 10 and I. I remember I only earned, I only earned money on one of my 10 pro fights. I think I got like £800 when I first fought in Portsmouth or something like that. So I never earned a penny. I, I spent more out than I actually got in. And, um, and then I got my first opportunity against a guy called Ryan Mike. Like, no, the day after my 10th pro fight, I boxed a journeyman called Dwayne Green. And then that day, straight after the um, fight, I uh, went straight up to the hospital where my daughter was born the following day. And I said to my dad, like, I'm 10 and I, I've got a daughter, like, when am I going to get these big fights? Like, although I can't sell the tickets, I couldn't sell the tickets back then. Like, I'm good enough to get a title fight. Yeah. He said, stay in the gym over Christmas. So I stayed in the gym. This was in the December. Stayed in the gym. I was I was a new dad, so all I could do was really be a dad, train. Be a, look. So beginning of January, I got the phone call. Will you fight Ryan Martin in Swindon for the WBC youth title? Obviously one of them. Um, and... Uh, I remembered Ryan Martin from the amateur days. He was like the best junior our age. Like he was like the, the best. He used to knock lads out at like 13, 14 years old. Like, and we remembered each other because he was the best back then. He thought it was going to be a walk in the park. His team were quite smug, arrogant, like in the build up to it. And it was a very long training camp. It was the first time I ever had nutritional advice, that fight there uh, with obviously Greg. And... Um, Made weight fine back then, but I was only coming down probably half a stone. Right, <laughs> <I wasn't, laughs> um, still so young then, weren't you? Yeah, I was twenty-two yeah. or something. Um, and uh, I, I got in the fight, and I just took like in his hometown. I won the WBC youth, proved everyone wrong. Nobody gave me a chance. From there, my following started to get a bit bigger. Um, then I fought Colin Lyons, who Colin Lyons. Uh, I fought him for the WBC international title. He was like a, le a domestic legend in boxing, really. I used to watch him when I was a kid, um, but he was like 39 years old. He was two-time European champion or two-weight British champion, European champion, IBO champion. So he had a real good resume in boxing. And for me to share a ring with somebody like Colin Lyons, like, it makes me quite proud. Like, early on in my career, I'd only had like 11 pro fights or something. That was in Portsmouth. That was the last time I boxed in Portsmouth. And um, I stopped him in the sixth round with a body shot. And obviously that was his career over. Um, but he's such a nice guy. And I'm actually so blessed to be able to share a ring with Colin Lyons early on in my career. Um, then I signed with M I couldn't get a fight. Signed with MTK. And it's been, obviously, I've been able to get opportunities since then. I won the WBC, uh, WBO European. No, I defended my WBC International a few times. Then won the WBO European. Got myself a good WBO ranking. And then obviously now I've just won the WBO 
uh, global. What are you going? What are Too you going many battles now. Yeah, just... what I was going to say, though, you have this cab- obviously it's a podcast, but behind Mikey, he's got his, his cabinet with his belts in. But I don't think there's room for yeah. any more, mates. So we we'll have to call it a day. <laughs> you have to get another cabinet. Yeah, well, it's hard. Like, it's hard to carry them places, all four of them. Yeah. Like, but um, I've got a good WBO uh, ranking now. I'm fourth in the world by the WBO. So I'm in a real good position right now. Um, so obviously with MTK, who are a great management team, with them looking after me and me being promoted by Eddie Hearn um, and Matt, Matt Dream, obviously, like like I said before, I'm in, a, I'm in a great position right now and I'm really happy with how my career is being guided like yeah. right now. So what do you think is next for you, European? Mate, like for me, if people know me, I like... Obviously, that Congo fight on paper, it was another step up. No one uh, gave me a chance. I just like to keep stepping up. Yeah. Like, I, I very rarely like to sit at the same level. Like, I'm too ambitious and, like, I'm too ambitious and I'm doing great things for my city at the minute. So, um, I just want another step up. I want another step up. I want a decent name. I want it to be on another big show. I want to shine again. And I just want to keep the momentum going because I'm always learning. Like with these hard fights, I'm always learning about my craft. I'm always learning about myself and my team and teaching me things. So as long as I've always got that that developing going on, I'm I'm on the right path. Enjoy the process. Yeah. Right. I've got because I've got a celebrity on the show today, I've got a load of quick <laughs> I've got a load of quick fire questions which people have asked you, mate. So we'll just run through them and then we'll talk yep. about We'll talk about the better looking brother and talk about his fight coming up. So let's go quick fire, quick fire questions on the Ringside Nutrition podcast. Number one, how did you do in the amateurs? So in the amateurs, I had 43, won about 29, I think. I lost about 14 or 15. And then I had seven uh, white collar, one seven. Um, So I had 50 fights with about 14 losses. Um, Like in the end, I got to an NABC final, which I was very unlucky not to get the decision. Like, even to this day, like, I, it was a bit of a dodgy one. Um, I got to about five, maybe national semifinals, six minute national semifinals. Like, every year I would come up short against, like, the top England boy over three rounds. Um, so, like, that would be a box of real good lads. Jordan Gill, Jordan Reynolds, Alfie Price, um, like I, it was always a close decision loss to the top boy over three rounds and it never really suited me. Um, but the top guys that were the top amateurs back then, I'm going through no problem in the professional games, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, like, Sam McNess, Ryan Martin, great amateur. Sam McNess, great amateur. Veron, Pavko, good amateurs. Uh, Congo, great amateur. So it doesn't, it doesn't really matter, yeah. but... I was what I like to call is I was a nearly boy in the amateurs. Yeah, just going through there as well. There's some names that you've kind of ticked off your the checklist there as well. There's some decent decent names on paper, aren't they? Um, I've got the best. I've got the best CV in the domestic like wow, wait, it's hundred percent. Take away like the top one, like what well, Carnell Brook. Then you can't really add them anymore. They hardly fight. So everyone else, I've got the best CV, definitely yeah. million miles. What was your best learning fight so far in your career? My best learning fight was 
Evgeny Pavko without a shadow of a doubt, learning about myself. Like in the build up to that, I had just come out of a breakup. Um, I wasn't, I was getting myself fit, I was training. Like for that fight, what I will say is I got myself down in weight, I got myself fit, um, but I didn't real spar. I had about 30 rounds sparring the whole camp, like the whole camp to fight a 10 round fight. My dad was living in Belfast, so he came back like, when I had a few weeks left of camp. Um, so it was all a bit all over the place and I'd just come out of a breakup. So I only really trained for four weeks. And uh, I, I found out very quickly in the Pavco fight that although I can get myself fit and I can get myself make weight, that that is just one little bit of the game. Like I wasn't conditioned to take any shots. I was It was just an awful performance, but I'm glad I had that fight because I learned a heck of a lot from the Pavco fight so much. And I, I don't really want to make excuses because I did get the win and I deserved the win. But the way I got it and the performance, that's why I, I do openly admit like the, my excuses and stuff like that because it genuinely was excuses. Um, but I learned that I would never, ever go into another fight underprepared mentally before, let alone physically. Um, it was a close call, that one. <laughs> yeah, was, I watched it a couple of days ago, actually. It was a tough did, what, did it put you to sleep? <laughs> that was, that was uh, I wish you put. I, I wish you had put him to sleep, mate. <laughs> yeah, me too. But every single time he hit me, like it hurt, like because I didn't really spar, like I wasn't used to it, and it just it was an awful performance by me. But like watching it back, I definitely won. Like I definitely won like by a good couple of rounds. But it was just the way I did it. It was horrible. Yeah. Was that like was that a conf? Because this this is another question that's coming. Was that a confidence boost for you? Getting through that, even that you knew that you had like a few, yeah, uh, confidence boost, yeah, probably. It was like, um, how do I explain it? It was like, if I managed to do that at my very worst, if I managed to do that at my very worst, then as long as I can take it, like, and do things properly, then yeah, like it was very, it, it for my confidence, if I could do that at my worst then I'm a bloody good fighter. Yeah. What um what recovery strategies do you use in camp to help with your recovery and muscle soreness and stuff like that? Um, so I do, well, I'll, I'll tell you a story. When I was in training camp for my uh, fight with Sam McNess, I was doing hill sprints one morning and I pulled a muscle in my back and I couldn't walk. Uh, this was about three weeks before the fight. And I was in so much pain, I, like, like, I had to have a few days off of the gym. And in my DMs, I had a, like a local like CBD company, right? And at the time, it was when everyone was starting to jump on it. And I, I'm one of them that I'm like, didn't really like to like follow the crowd. And I just thought it was all a con at the beginning. And uh, I was like, right, I'm in desperate need. And I got some CBD and like, on my recovery, it sped my recovery like real quick. And um, ever since then, I've, ha I've had CBD to help me for my pain, aches and pains in my, in my fights. And like, it works for me. Don't get me wrong, I've got a good bunch of people that do help me with like my physio stuff. And I've had some acupuncture and stuff like that in, in fights. That's regular. But um, the CBD is something that I, like, I do, like, I do, it do help me. Yeah. What about the turmeric, which we introduced 
last camp? How's that been helping you? Oh, I've just put my another order through this morning, haven't I? Yeah. So it's similar with the turmeric, really, because you like you mentioned it to me um, at the beginning, and I just I was like, okay, if it benefits me, that's how I go things on. Like if it benefits me, and I put trust in you, I'm gonna take it. And like obviously with that tra- like last training camp, it, everything went perfect. Every everything went perfect. Um, and like when you mentioned to me the other day, like about oh, like about the turmeric and stuff like that, I've just put my another order through this morning. So um, it's great to to be able to have the advice that I've got from you um, because everything since my meeting you has been so beneficial to me and my career. Thank you, mate. Um, did you ever... Was that cute? Yeah, that was cute. Um, <laughs> love just a few more, then we'll talk about Lucas, mate. Um, how calm are you? It seems that nothing phases you inside or outside of the ring. Um, I'll tell you how I get... Because people say, oh, you're so, such a confident guy, Mike. More hard work gets me through gets me confident um on on very well a very dedicated individual because say me and my brother growing up over the years he's always been the talented one he's always been the talented one and he's always been the naturally like fit or whatever like for me if i'm not fit i'm square one i'm not like i'm naturally fat and lazy like genuinely I'm naturally a lazy guy so um my hard work like so my hard work by the time I step get onto them scales and by the time I have, have my ring walk I've literally put everything I can into the two months three months beforehand and that's like if people ask you I'm very very dedicated and um that's why I'm so confident because like I know that I'm a problem for anybody in the division like as long as I prepare myself, if I prepare myself, let like so bit like do you know what I mean? I know I can win, um, so that's how I get my confidence. And like as the years have gone on, that's why I say like how good Lucas is, like because he's always been the the the, the talented one out of the two, better better at things in the gym and stuff like that. But as he's got older, my dedication, my discipline's rubbed off on him. Like like watching him in training camp for this fight now it's been it's been so good as a big brother to watch because he doesn't cut any corners he's he's taking things very very seriously he's uh he's so focused right now so yeah like when he when he wins this english title it's going to be a, a proud moment for me yeah definitely can't wait for that what's your favorite out of camp meal oh um and i didn't tell you to have it so this is all you. Yeah, well, no, to be honest, mate, like I've had some uh, my if I could have one meal for the rest of my life, right? It would be it would be curry goat rice and peas. Like I'm quarter Jamaican, right? And it's like a Caribbean meal. I very like rarely have it, but like that is probably one of my all-time favourite meals. Had it on the weekend. I went to Manchester Spiral last weekend. But on a day-to-day. I like a good Nando's, like everybody. Um, I like a good Nando's. Uh, I, I haven't got a sweet tooth. I haven't got a sweet tooth. I'm more savoury. I love bread. Like I'm like a, as you know, I'm a big bread lover. So I do tr- after fights. I do treat myself to a to a loaf or two. 
Okay, let's touch on, and we're really conscious of time and there's there's loads of questions, but maybe we can try and answer someone on Instagram Live or something. Let's quickly yeah. touch on, on Lucas then. So what's he got next week? He's got an English lightweight title. Where can people catch it? How's he preparing for it? So there's a new app that's uh, called Fight Zone, I think it's called. So it, it can be on the app. Um, he's fighting in Sheffield for the English lightweight title. And obviously not many people know, but Lucas is my brother. Um, both of us, we're in, a, we're in the same sport together. Uh, of, um, and we're both going to be like top top of our sports 100%. It, it's a mad one because me and Lucas, we live together. So there's always one of us in training camp. But it helps we keep us both motivated. So, um, so yeah, like he'll be fighting for the English lightweight title against Myron Mills on May twenty first, um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm more than confident that English title's coming back to this house. Yeah, gonna have to get another cabinet. Um, just quickly, then <laughs> I just want to. These are my these are, these are my questions, which I want to just for a bit of fun. Who's more talented? Who's more talented? Out of you, and Lucas. In the in boxing, yeah, I'd say Lucas. Who's more popular in Portsmouth? Me. And who's Daddy's favourite? Lucas has always <laughs> been golden boy. He's always been golden boy, like always. Brilliant, mate. Listen, it's been <laughs> awesome having you on, mate. Just quickly for people listening, what's next for you in regards to the rest of the year, 20, 2021? Um, I've been told that I'll be fighting in July, August. Um, obviously on a matchroom card. So um, just waiting to find out a date and find out who, like, and find out a bit more. But that's sort of like the time frame. And then I'll be fighting again before the end of the year's out as well. So nice and busy, nice and active. Um, and yeah, like, I just can't wait for supporters to be able to come to my shows again. So so fingers crossed they can next time. And yeah, big year. Get it down at Fratton Park. Are there any shout? Anyone you want to shout out or sponsors you want to shout out, mate? You'd love it if I if I fought in Fratton Park, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wear my Saints top. <laughs> um, yeah, I've got like me and Luke uh, HS Building. They sponsor me and Lucas to train full time, so they're the backbone of our lives at the moment. So, um, big shout out to them. Big shout out to everyone that plays their part in both of our careers um, because they see they see us do our thing they see the bows of the tv but it's a massive joint effort we've got a great team around us so everyone knows who they are um so yeah big love to everyone who supported us and it's still only the beginning wicked mate when it stays on listen mate thanks for giving the time out today for having a chat with me it's been awesome um and i'll um speak to you soon mate nice one jack see you later